Okay, last week we talked about why we should be, you know, doing apologetics and understanding the worldviews. Um, and so, kind of alluded to what worldviews were, but tonight we're going to get into what a worldview is, what the different worldviews are. Um, a worldview is your basic concept of reality, it's your assumptions or your presuppositions about what makes think the world work. And everyone has a worldview even if you don't know what it is. And this is not an academic, abstract thing. This is something that's very practical, and it's going to determine how you look at everything, politics and religion and education and all of that. And some people have said worldviews are like um, glasses that you look through, and if you have the right prescription, then you're going to see things accurately, and if you have a bad prescription, then, then your worldview is uh, your view of the world is going to be distorted. I remember an old country western song, it was uh, John Conley, and it said, these rose-colored glasses that I'm looking through show only the beauty because they hide all the truth. Well, you know, as in most country western songs, the wife, the woman didn't love him anymore, and he, didn't, he couldn't recognize that. So, that reminds me, um, what do you get when you play a country western song backwards? Yeah, there you go. You get your wife back, you get your truck back, you get your dog back. <laughs> so, Ronald Nash says that a worldview is a set of beliefs about the most important questions in life. And we mentioned these, talked about these last week, but that list in front of you is um, what... After looking at a dozen books, they all kind of keep coming back to these same questions. So these are the big questions that we want to study, and it becomes the outline for our course. <clears throat> why is there something, uh, what is the origin of the universe, or why is there something rather than nothing? Um, did God create that? Is there a God? Is man basically bad or good? You can't talk about bad or good unless you get into discussion about morality. Uh, why is there evil and suffering? What happens after we die? And what is the meaning of life and history? Um, and then tonight we're going to cover how do you know that you know. But first, what are the four major worldviews? First one is theism. It comes from theos, is the Greek word for God, and ism. Um, the belief that there's a personal God that's outside of time and space, that he created everything, that we, we are going to be responsible to him. He's in control, actively in control through the supernatural, and we'll be responsible to him when we die. And the uh, ones that follow this are going to be Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And then you have pantheism, pan meaning all, and that's basically the idea that everything is... Um, God and um, you know humans are gods knowledge is getting in touch with the cosmic consciousness and so you'll hear the term enlightenment a lot of time when you're talking to a Hindu or a new age person and history is cyclical we just get reincarnated until we get it right and we realize our own divinity and the pantheist Pantheism is behind the New Age, Hinduism, Buddhism, and a little bit of the Christian science, uh, scientist religion. Naturalism is the idea that there is no God, or athe atheism, is, um, there is no God. Everything is, uh, there's no supernatural. We live in a closed system. 
All we, all we have is what's material. And you'll hear the word materialism sometimes when you're talking about worldviews. And I think we have a tendency to think of materialism as, I want a newer car or, or fancier this or that. That's a different definition. When, when you're in a worldviews discussion, materialism means everything. only thing that exists is what's material. Okay? And then we have a fourth one. That is pluralism, and we talked about this. This is basically postmodernism. Um, pluralism is just everything's relative, truth is relative. People mix and match the various aspects of their worldview, even though they're inconsistent. But in a postmodern society, it's okay um, to do that. <coughs> and so I have this chart that I think I uh, first saw this in a mind game seminar from uh, Probe Ministries years ago. And it basically has the, the questions on the left and then each worldview across the top and it gives you how, they, how they're going to answer it. Um, and so the theist is God is personal, the world is created, man is in the image of God, immortality, we're going to be resurrected, glorified, divine revelation is the authority, truth is absolute because it comes from Scripture, um, evil is defined is explained by rebellion and history is linear it's God's redemption story <clears throat> and the, when you look at pantheism though you see it's impersonal, it's spiritual man is God, reincarnation will be absorbed into the uh, cosmic consciousness when we're spiritually enlightened so, truth is personal evil is an illusion and then naturalism and pluralism are fairly similar because both mostly the pluralist, most postmodern person is, you know, he's mostly athe you know, atheists or are usually uh, pluralists are usually atheists. So they're going to say God does not exist. We got here through evolution, and man is just an animal. But they they start differing a little bit. Where with immortality, they might they might choose reincarnation for uh, their death, uh, immortality. Authority is culturally defined, so we can define, decide as a culture that this is moral or not. Yeah. What do I mean when I say God? God is a personal, infinite being. Um, he's, you know, not. A, a force like in Star Wars or something like that. Does that make sense? What were you What were you well, thinking or thinking, wondering? Well, I was thinking of the uh, Islam and it seems like their God's not too personal. Well, certainly not relational. <laughs> um, but but he's a a you know supernatural being that exists, not a not an inanimate force like an, yeah. Okay. And does Islam do they believe that their God created the world? I don't know much about Islam, but I think so. I just think that he's would be a big mean guy out there that they have to obey. But they would believe that he created everything, you know. So this is just a nice chart to um, 
keep in mind, refer to. So, I mentioned earlier that that your worldview affects how you look at everything. So, if you're a, a teacher, you know you're designing public education. Then, how would that affect your your you know what you teach? Like, you remember values clarification? We hear about that, and they give. Nine-year-olds in possibly difficult situations, like should you mercy killings or something, and you know what do you think is the right thing to do here? And you can make up your own, you know, values. Okay. Well, that's going to be culturally defined authority and truth for the you know postmodernism. Or, you know, Mendeleev discovered created, whatever, invented that periodic table back in 1863. And when I was teaching, reading through physics with Logan, I was just, as they found new elements, they just plugged right into this column with one more proton or whatever. I didn't really understand it, but I said to her going, I am amazed at the mind of God who takes all of these elements and they are so organized and they're different classes and Man can figure this out. That's my response. But an atheist response is, well, we've just figured one more thing out. Just to, We don't need God anymore. Okay. And so it's different perspective with the same fact. And that's, that's because of your worldview. Um, yeah, Greg. How do you scientifically prove that God exists? How do you scientifically? Well, we'll work on that in a couple classes. We have a whole bunch of different things, but intelligent design and cause and effect and those kind of things that we'll talk about. A long time ago, there was a beer commercial. You only go around once in life, so live for all the gusto you can. Some of you probably remember that. There's a worldview behind that. There's no life after death. It's all right now. Let's, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die kind of an attitude. Yeah? I think they went out of business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's... (laughs) I went to a church where the pastor remembered people's names by associating their name with something. I think the family's name was Pabst. And so, Paps, Paps, next week. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Schlitz, how are you doing? <laughs> I think they bought Schlitz. <laughs> Paps bought Schlitz, so. I thought that was a pretty funny mix-up. Um, I saw a TV, co- TV news story where they were interviewing a teacher because some kids had vandalized the school property. And she said, well, you know, they're basically good kids, but they come from underprivileged homes. What if, you know, maybe it was the rich kids that did it. You know, how does that... But what is her worldview telling you about man? And, you know, is he basically good or, or, or you know, basically sinful? So when you start learning all these categories and understanding this, you know, hey, you deserve that. You, even though you have a bankruptcy, you, we can get you that home loan you deserve. You know... What's going on there? You start hearing things and you start going, oh, okay, that's their view. You know, no human responsibility or man is basically good. And it helps you understand 
you know, where people are coming from. What's yours is mine. Or like that just like the young guy go that killed all of us. The four when he was drunk because he was too kind of rich. Yeah. How about that kid? He was 16 and he was drunk out. Caused death to four people. And he got off pretty easy because he suffered from the illness disease of affluency. Did y'all hear about that? I hadn't, I hadn't heard oh, that one. Yeah, that's a good story. He was racing the car. He was racing the car. No. Killed a wiped out of family in a van. He got off easy. So that those are the four worldviews, theism, Pantheism, um, naturalism, and pluralism. And is there any confusion about that? You understand what those mean? Got a basic basic idea? Okay. Um, One of the big questions, and this is flip your sheet over to the back side. Um, One of the the big questions is, what is truth? Is there such a thing as absolute truth or is truth relative? How do we choose between all the options? Dale Tackett, in that Truth Project video series, he starts off by saying, truth is conformity to reality. Truth is reality. And that fits with what we're trying to show, is which worldview matches reality. And last week we talked about that William... No, there was that article about... um, he wanted to redefine truth and not be a correspondence theory of truth. He wanted to change truth to be about edification. Well, the correspondence theory of truth was that truth corresponds to reality. We don't want that kind of truth. We just want the truth that makes me a better person or it works for me. Okay, And so um, but what we're, Dale Tackett is saying is truth is reality. So how do you know what is true? You have sources of knowledge. Can anybody think of any sources of where we know things? Experience. Okay. Oral tradition. Tradition. Mathematical truth. Okay. That would be logic or, or reason. Scientific method. Yes. Um, I forget what I've called it, but yes, that's one of them. I think you've covered them. Tradition. Um, if you were raised by a Christian family, you'd probably be Christian. If you were raised in a Hindu family, you'd probably be Hindu. That's actually one of the questions on that long list of tests. Uh, test, uh, 65 questions that we should be able to answer. Somebody will give you that as an argument one day, and we'll talk about that later. But Tradition. Um, the next one is reason or logic. Um, we are logical creatures. Things make sense or they don't. The law of non-contradiction. You know, we, we, we hear some new thing. Um, you know, and we don't always go with what makes sense logically. Sometimes we're, you know, have other things that influence us. Like experience. Um, 
Um, <clears throat> if someone tells you there's no such thing as evil, but yesterday you had your car stolen, you know, you might go, nah, I don't, I don't believe you, right? <clears throat> um, emotion. How do you feel about Stalin, Hitler, suicide bombers? Um, I was listening to some talk show and they were interviewing a Palestinian. He thought Hitler was a great guy. Well, I think it's because he didn't like Jews and he thought that Hitler did a great, the world a great service. So, but I think emotion is influencing his opinion there. Uh, general revelation, you talked about science. Um, we can observe nature. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of, of God. Romans 1.18 says that people should be able to know God exists by looking at creation. So we have general revelation. And then, surprise, none of you mentioned this one, the Bible, right? Special revelation. Um, But here's my question. Look, not in here. What are your primary sources or what are your sources of knowledge? What if we get rid of that one? Special revelation. We get rid of special revelation. Every one of these is subjective. Okay? And so, I was raised by Christians, and how am I going to tell the person who's raised by you know, Hindu parents that, well, you're really... That's the genetic fallacy. I mean, that has nothing to do with whether it's true or not. You know. Al, do you have a question? Do we have any lawyers, lawyers in here? Do we have any lawyers? Yeah. Any lawyer will tell you that the least, revi- re- least reliable evidence in a uh, jury trial, court trial, would be the witness, or the eyewitness account. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> and that, when I learned that, that told me a lot. Yeah. Um, what would a Catholic be? What would a Catholic source of of knowledge be? Tradition. What about a philosopher? Reason. Yeah, reason. Charismatic. Experience. Yeah. Um, scientists are going to go with general revelation and reason and stuff. But my the point is, if the, if these are your only sources of knowledge, then Truth really is relative, and it's going to be the most people with that same experience getting together to vote and make something against the law or not. It's might makes right. And so we need special revelation as the only source of objective truth, uh, or truth becomes relative. Now, that doesn't mean we can all agree on everything in the Bible, but... You know, there are certain things that are very clear, and and so we we know those things. Yeah, right. Yeah, but people that are in the, in the scientific method know reason and general revelation. Um, the Bible, special re- uh, revelation, that's that's uh, a fantasy. That's uh, a, 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 an ancient tale. That yes, well, that's what that's that's what they are going to claim and you know that's what they say 
you know, every time you turn around. And if you say things often enough, then lots of people believe it. Yeah, well, like, okay, so I know a guy who's that way. His argument is that there's no proof that the Bible is valid because there's no Bible from 1000 BC. There's no. no yeah. Well, we're going to talk about, we've got, we've got a whole core cla- class where we're going to talk about how we can defend the Bible's inspiration and inerrancy and talk about some of that. Um, what we end up with is a lot of misconceptions. It's that we get told that science equals facts and religion is just blind faith, like you're talking about. We hear the phrase separation of church and state all the time, and we're told that it's faith versus reason. Um, but it's not, you know, the, the guys on the other side, they have their own faith, and this is a quote from a, a evolutionary guy, Richard Lewontin, and he said, we take the side of science in spite of the fact, that, these are his italics, in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept the material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is an absolute for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. And that's the materialism. nothing, Nothing exists that you can't touch and feel. That's basically kind of the same outlook for somebody who believes in a Bible. Because it's all based on your premises. Mm-hmm. Well, not exactly, because in the Bible there are objective things like prophecy fulfilled. That's historical. Right. History is there to attest that. That's not my invention or my imagination. Right. That is fact. I'm just pointing. Yeah, <laughs> somebody get a gag for that guy right there. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, those are things that we're going to talk about. We do want to. We want to. We will talk about presuppositionalism and evidentialism, and we 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 will get to a lot of the things you're bringing up. It's just you kind of almost need to know like everything at once for everything we talk about, and you just can't do that. So I got this guy. He's a good friend of mine. He's about three times smarter than I am. So I mean, I can't beat him. So I'm, I'm trying to lead him a little bit. Yeah. So I'm with you with what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> so faith versus reason. Oh, um, another guy, Michael Ruse. This is a biologist, and he has written several books. Um, the Darwinian Revolution, Darwin, Darwinism Defended, Taking Darwin Seriously. Well, he's a gung-ho Darwin guy. Evolution is promoted by its practitioners as more than mere science. Evolution is promulgated as an ideology, a secular religion, a full-fledged alternative to Christianity with meaning and morality. I am an ardent evolutionist and an ex-Christian, but I must admit in this one complaint, the literalists, i.e. the creationists, 
are absolutely right. Evolution is a religion. This was true of evolution in the beginning, and it is true of evolution still today. So the secular person is not philosophically neutral. You know, he's got an axe to grind, as we saw. You know, it, we can't allow any supernatural explanation. You know, it's got to be, got to be scientific. Greg Kokel talks about um, the word faith, and he says he really doesn't like to use the word faith anymore because faith has taken on this blind faith kind of a character, whatever. He says the word truth would be a lot better. Trust, excuse me, not truth. Trust. And so, you know, you you don't get on an airplane with blind faith. You know, you've got this whole history. You know, you've got observation. You've got all these things. And then you trust in the technology and you get on the airplane. It's not, if you've never seen an airplane, you know, and somebody brought you out and said, this thing will fly us across the ocean, you probably wouldn't. Unless you really trusted that person, you know, you're not going to believe that. And so, I think I said it last week, we believe in Christianity because Christ was raised from the dead. And if blind faith was what we really needed, then the best thing that could happen is they could find the bones of Jesus in the tomb, and then we could really have faith. And that's not the kind of faith that we have. We have, we have the most reasonable faith. <clears throat> and so the question is, you know, how how reasonable? Um, I can't control the screen here. The Bible talks about the the role of reason. We've mentioned these word, verses last um, week. You know, talks about repenting, which part of the idea of repent is to change your mind. Um, Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. We're supposed to take every thought captive, be able to defend the faith. And Paul reasoned with the philosophers. So how are we going to go about determining what's the most reasonable answer to each worldview question. What is the most reasonable worldview? And I think that there are three tests that we go through. And the first one is the test of logic. Is the explanation consistent? Is it coherent? Does it go? Does it hang together? Um, does it answer most or all of the questions? Does it really explain the world around us? And so the answer shouldn't be full of contradictions. And we, we know things, we hear something new, and we go, well, that contradicts something I know. I was reading a Neil Postman article, and he wrote that book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, back in the 90s, and about TV and movies. And he said that he would go around to people and say, I, had, I heard about this Harvard study, there's a new diet. If you add six donuts a day to your diet, you can lose weight. He said a lot of people believed him. Well, I mean, if you know anything about health and dieting and nutrition, you know that that doesn't work. You don't even have to try it. You just know, right? So, you know, we, we, we know that that contradicts what we know to be true. Um, now, 
reason, logic, was one of those subjective things. And so that troublemaker Caleb, when I taught this to the youth group many years ago, says, well, if reason is subjective, how can you use reason to examine something to know if it's true? And that's a great question. Um, logic is um, objective and and pure, if you will, like your math-type logic. It's just the humans can't always apply it, you know, with, with pure motives. We've got other things getting in the way. We've got our own biases. But that's the way God's taught us to... To learn things is to just we use reason, we use the law of non-contradiction, you know, um, and that's just that's how it works. It's kind of like, you know, um, I know grammar, and so I can read the Bible, but that doesn't make grammar above the Bible. It's just one of the tools. It's how God's made us. It's how we have to use. It's one of the things that we use in our toolbox. Does that make sense? Um. Maybe you could compare it to perfectionism. You know, someone who's got a, is a perfectionist that kind of paralyzes them. Most people aren't that way. You know, they can do things and not do it totally just right, but they still, you know, make progress in whatever it is that they're doing. Um, the law of non-contradiction is only a negative test. Okay, if it contradicts, I know it can't be true. But if something's consistent, it might just be consistent with something else that's bad, and so it doesn't make it make it good. Okay. <clears throat> but let's give a couple examples. You know what a solipsis is? A solipsis is a person who says that nobody else in the world exists. They're the only one that exists. I found this website, the solipsis.com or org. It was a long, long time ago, but... Um, Many, many years ago, there was something called a web ring, and you could have like-minded websites would put each other in their ring, and you could click that ring and kind of go to other sites that were like, well, on this site, when you click next, it just takes you to this page. Every link on there would just take you back to this page. So why is he bothering to put up a website? Now, there, see, now there, you're, you're, using, you're using good logic. You're using good logic. Okay, that makes no sense. Why would he have a website if nobody else existed, right? I'm sure it was just a joke, but but that's the kind of question that you have to be thinking about and asking, you know, asking when you hear these things. You know, I know you think that's that's just a joke, but there's a lady that wrote a book called Out on a Limb, and um, Shirley MacLaine, and she wrote this says. To her guests at her dinner party, I began by saying that since I realized I created my own reality in every way, I must therefore admit that in essence, I was the only person alive in my universe. I could feel the instant shock waves undulate around the table. I went on to express my feeling of total responsibility and power for all events that occur in the world because the world is happening only in my reality. And human beings feeling Pain, terror, depression, panic, and so forth were really only aspects of pain, terror, depression, panic, and so on in me. If they were all characters in my reality, my dream, then of course they were only reflections of myself. I was beginning to understand what the great masters had meant when they said, you are the universe. If we each create our own reality, then of course we are everything that exists within it. 
So, why would she go to the trouble of explaining that nobody else existed to all the guests at her party? Or why would she write a book and sell millions of copies? Huh? I guess. But see, those are the kind of logical questions. You know, that why is she writing books? And how does she explain the millions of copies sold? <laughs> so, um, so it's helpful to be logical, reasonable, um, understand logical fallacies. I read a, there's a real good book you should get. It's called The Fallacy Detective. And a couple homeschool, high school boys wrote it. Uh, Blue Dorn, last name. And we read it to our kids um, after dinner. And they would give some explanation and then they give some story and show you how, how to apply it. And it was simple enough that even I could understand. So, next test. The test of experience. Does the explanation match your experience? And there's two different aspects of this. There's the outer world. There's not too many people that are members of the flatter society. There are a few, but not too many. And why is that? They've seen, you know, the Earth from, you know, outer space uh, satellite shots. Or maybe they were in an airplane and saw the curvature of the Earth. <laughs> and how's that prove that? <laughs> I would think they'd believe in a flat earth if they lived out there, right? <laughs> Christian scientists will tell you that nothing exists. You know, it's all a figment of your imagination. But, but you're, there's not too many Christian scientists because that doesn't match our experience. Okay. But... Um, the inner world, I think, is more important here. Our worldview also um, needs to explain why it is that we are beings who think, hope, feel, believe, desire, are conscious of right and wrong, feel guilt, rather than just responding to stimuli, which is what a naturalist is going to say. Uh, we can, and we can will to do something and do it. C.S. Lewis points out that naturalism doesn't have a good explanation for ought, as in you ought to be brave? How do you explain the noble acts in a survival of the fittest worldview? If the goal of evolution and naturalism is i got to get my genes into the next generation, jumping on that hand grenade does not do that. right? So. Or think about the guy goes to college and gets a great job and gets married and has kids and he moves up the ladder you know, corporate ladder. And then when he's 40 or 50, he has a midlife crisis and goes, is this all there is? And gets a divorce or buys a fancy car or does something, right? Which worldview explains the inner world better? If you're a Hindu pantheist, he's got good karma, right? He's on his way to becoming a god. Um, if you're an a, a evolutionist, He's not only survived, survival of the fittest, he's excelled, right? But only the Christian worldview can explain that situation because we are made to worship God and nothing else is going to 
satisfy. And so even though he filled his life with money and power and people, relationships and all of that, it didn't satisfy. So does your explanation answer the question about experience both for the outer world and the inner world? Okay, the third test. Any questions about that before we go on? The third test is the test of practice. Does it work? Can the person who professes a worldview live with the consequences of their worldview? Let's go back to Shirley MacLaine. If somebody stole her car, what should she do? Huh? Imagine that she had a new car. Right? Sam said, ask herself where her car is. Yeah, she could ask herself where she, where That's a good answer. She could ask herself where her car is. That's a problem, the fact that, why, how could somebody steal her car? Nobody else existed. Okay? So, now what's the, uh, the evolutionist person going to do if you steal his car? Well, that person is obviously more fit than me, so I'm going to go find somebody who's less fit and still theirs. Because, you know, there is no morality. It's just about survival. If either one of them call the police, then what are they doing? They are. They're borrowing from the Christian worldview. right? Because they can't live inside their worldview. And so, you know, does it, that, so that's maybe a good example of the test of practice. They're negating their worldview. They are. And a lot of times in a discussion with an atheist, they will make claims about something not being moral or, or about them, but, you know, a lot of times their reaction you know, they're, they're, if you cut in line, then they're going to get upset with you for cutting in line. So there's this, you know, while they deny that there's this um, overarching morality, absolute morality, you know, their reaction is going to show that there is this sense of fairness, there is this sense of right and wrong that's innate. I had another question that came up once. Somebody said, why are there so many philosophies? Is it because there's um, no absolute truth? Is it because truth is unknowable? Um, Nobody can agree on anything. So does that mean there's no right answer? No. Even if if, if people don't agree, that doesn't mean that there's not a truth. They just haven't discovered it yet. Okay. Um... You might not have enough knowledge on the issue. You might have different worldviews, views, or assumptions that cause you to come to different conclusions, or maybe they don't like the correct answer, so they just refuse to believe it. <clears throat> you know, if truth is the correct answer, excuse me, if truth is that God created the world, that we're going to be responsible to Him when we die, and you don't like that, 
because it cramps your style, then you come up with another philosophy that lets you do what you want. Well, your philosophy is not the truth. It may have some truth in it, but it's going to have problems. And these other people who maybe were initially attracted to your philosophy because it gave them an excuse to do what they wanted are going to have problems with the problems in your philosophy, and they're going to branch off and start another one that's not the truth and also has problems, and so they just kind of multiply. And I think that's how we end up with all of these different you know, philosophers. They're trying to find a way to explain reality without, but they don't want the truth, so they're coming up with, with other explanations, and they, they have problems. I don't know how we got so many denominations. <laughs> Aldous Huxley wrote the, A Brave New World, and everybody should read that book. That was a great book. And he was interviewed, and he made this quote. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning, consequently assumed that it had none, and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with the problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do, or why his friend should not seize political power and govern in the way that they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness that was what I guess they called their philosophy that they came up with, was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. We objected to the political and economic system because it was unjust. The supporters of these systems claimed that in some way they embodied the meaning, a Christian meaning, they insisted, of the world. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and at the same time justifying ourselves in our political and erotic revolt. We could deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. So, I think that's a pretty powerful quote. When did you make this quote? Um... Oh, I don't know that. Let's see. What's my source? Um, a book, Ends and Means, 1946. I don't know when he lived. But how could he say that the world has no meaning? And previously he was talking about uh, those people being unjust in their pursuit of power and blah, blah, blah. Right. Not, you're you're <laughs> right on track. I mean, those are the kind of questions that you have to ask. His... His philosophy of meaninglessness would not hold up to logic tests and experience tests and practice tests. But, you know, it was attractive to a generation of contemporaries there that said, oh, I'm going to follow this one because it lets me do what I want to do. He sounds like Saul Alinsky's mentor. <clears throat> yeah. Like Probably related somehow. Feel. How would you answer them, though, like Nietzsche, who would say it's all the will to power? In other words, this guy has just constructed a reality in his 
pace that fits what he wants to do and more power to him. That's what Christians do. I, mean, I think this guy would probably answer the same way. <laughs> Even though it doesn't make sense, that doesn't matter. Well, here, when I ask that question, you've got me. Well, in the... And, you yes. know what I'm saying? Well, he in would the, answer that way. That's hard to, that's hard to answer. <laughs> I, mean, I think we have to go back to faith-seeking understanding I mean, because you can, you can answer that and say, okay, but it's logically contradictive. But when you do that, you're submitting to a system. Because <laughs> he's saying, I'm, I've got you. Like when you ask that question. Mm-hmm. Because he's created a world in which he's right by his will to make it happen. It's an illusory world because if it's your world and your reality and his world and his reality, then there is no reality. But he's saying because I'm I'm saying that what he would say is well I've created it so it is reality you created yours so it is reality for you and to the extent in which you make that happen then it is real that's hard to understand that, that's hard to answer well I think one of the ways that I would try to answer that would be that you know the idea of truth is just a power play which is very common language we hear these days in postmodernism um, and so might ends up making right. Well, that doesn't work. You know, you can't, we cannot say that Hitler was bad, Stalin was bad, or any of that, because who are we to judge? But we we know that they were bad, okay? We can try to rewrite history and say it never (coughs) happened, okay? And so there are plenty of people who are going to go along with the party line and, and, and do that, but if you're really searching for the truth, okay, then you're going to, you, you would, you know, if I'm talking to you and you're really searching for the truth um, and I point out these practice problems, you know, you can't live that way. What are you going to do, you know, you're going to cry foul when another group that's bigger than you and more powerful than you infringes on your whatever, you're, you know, not well. You're more, you know, they treat you unjustly, okay. And so, you can't complain about being treated unjustly <coughs> if you're going along with those those philosophies of power. Truth is just a power play, and so, not. It's very popular. A lot of people believe it, and they use it to gain power, but that really doesn't explain how the world works, and. And so a person searching for the truth who has shown this might go, oh, okay, I see the problem here. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think then the, the classical answer, faith-seeking understanding, is the best way to answer that? I mean, that's what I'm getting at, I guess. I'm saying I think that's the best way to answer it. Like, I don't believe because my reality is better than yours or whatever. I believe because God told me that I can explain the world. You know what I mean? Like, I find yes. it very hard to answer this other than that. Like, there's a, there's a component where, <laughs> like Ecclesiastes, sometimes reality doesn't match, and it's hard to find meaning. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I guess I'm speaking from... Yeah. Well, there is definitely a faith element. There is a Holy Spirit element. There is that whole spiritual warfare thing we talked about last week where Satan has blinded people. There's, you know... I don't, I don't want to discount that. Matter of fact, the next thing I was supposed to talk about was, you know, let's not forget, it's not all about logic. Okay? 
I think it's extremely important that we know how to think and, and evaluate and understand what's wrong with these things logically, experientially, practically. Um, and we're going to have opportunities to talk to people, and we need to be able to point out the problems. But again, we have to recognize that it doesn't make any sense to the unbeliever in some ways. And so, you know, how do you how do you merge the faith seeking understanding? How do you merge the you know Holy Spirit working with you know your defense, your apologia, and so? Yes, great. But it seems to me that this philosophy is really simple to shatter. I mean, we could deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. Okay, great. Let me reach in your pocket and take your wallet. Or better than that, writer Aldous Huxley, let me plagiarize your stuff and I'll put my name on it. Now, tell right. me that that doesn't mean right. anything. Yeah. Yeah, those are good examples of how how their the stuff falls apart by the three tests. Um, <clears throat> when I ran across these verses, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of moral knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord and acknowledge the Holy One. Um, you know, when you think about the worldviews, it's theism, the fear of the Lord. God created everything and we're going to be responsible to Him after we die. Or it's pantheism, everything is God. Or atheism, there is no God. You know, this is the foundational principle. And, you know, those those terms that we use really allude to this, that, you know, the Bible is um, saying this is where truth begins with the fear of the Lord. So. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I think that's it. Any other questions? <clears throat>